This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together. As our campuses join with us as well in Stevens Point and the Fox Valley, as well as all the people who watch us online and all around the world, let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this Sunday morning. Uh, before we continue with our message, we want to take a moment to take our offering. Uh, much of it, and most of it probably now, is done online. Uh, you can actually sign up for recurrent giving online, which just means you make a commitment every, you can set up for every week or month, you're, we're going to give X amount of dollars and it really helps us in terms of budgeting. Uh, or you can give in person at any of our campuses. We're not passing buckets yet, although I think that we'll soon finally get past that as we finally get here. Yes, amen. And uh, <laughs> don't get me started. Uh, and, uh, and then, uh, so on the way out of your campus this morning, you can, there'll be with buckets and you can put a check in there or cash or whatever, uh, which is a wonderful thing to do. Or you can do... Uh, text to give, which is what I do for some odd reason. I rather enjoy it. Uh, I'm not very good at it, but let me see if I can find it. Okay. You can text to 77977. That's the number. You're going to send a text to that number. 77977. And then in the text message part, you put CCWI. Stands for Celebration Church Wisconsin. The CCWI space and then the dollar amount. And you hit send. Ding! There you go. And it's all done. You have to kind of, the first time you do it, you got to kind of connect it to your account or whatever you want to do. Uh, but uh, once you do it, then it's just all automatic. So um, that's what you can do. And now you can put away your phones. All right. This morning is called the second Sunday of Easter. Why is that? According to the Christian calendar, Easter is not just last Sunday. <laughs> it's a season of celebration where we celebrate the resurrection. So uh, this morning I came in with a, uh, all prepared for a message uh, that's tied into that. And my message this morning still will be tied into it. But, you know, I'm, I've changed it all at the last second. You ever do that? 
No, you probably don't. You actually prepare and think ahead of time. Yeah. So, <laughs> but a lot of pastors, if you preach all that, you'll find yourself, you're all set. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And the last second you feel like God was, and then you're cramming. So I've been cramming. So um, it's actually set it up from a, a funeral service that we had yesterday. Uh, uh, Susan Mako, John Mako's wife, uh, passed away. It was a wonderful celebration at her funeral yesterday. It was great. And, uh, and I had a, just a little short window <laughs> to give my message. And, uh, and I did. And I just shared a very simple message of why do people have to die? And, uh, and then afterwards, it was, it was interesting because there were you know, several hundred people there. Uh, I had so many people come up to me in the community, people that I know, have respected. They've been Christians forever. And they, they know the scriptures. They're very well, you know, I respect all. I was shocked at how many people came up to me and said, I'd never heard that before. I was like, what? <laughs> and I couldn't shake it. And all afternoon, I kept thinking, and I thought, you know, I'm going to talk about it today because it does tie into the Easter message. So here we go. We're going to say, why do people die? I mean, it's, it's a horrible experience, right? Everybody, their hearts are broken, whether it's an accident or a sudden death, which can be extremely shocking to someone. Uh, I contend that is one of the most graceful ways. I know it's terrible that all of a sudden somebody shockingly dies. Uh, but uh, one of the hardest ones is what uh, the Mako family experienced, what I experienced with Deb, is someone dying over years, and it's very slow. And it's quite, if you've ever been exposed to it, it's really rather brutal. Uh, but it's still temporary in the light of eternity. And it's, you know, however you pass over, uh, you know, and then people are saying people who die in you know earthquakes and all this thing and all this heartache and stuff in the world. Why? Why does God allow people to die? What a harsh, harsh thing. Well, to understand it, we have to go back to the beginning, and we know that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, filled the earth with life, and at the very end, He, I mean, He was speaking this entire time. You know, this should happen. This said, God spoke it and it happened. But when it came to human beings, God didn't just speak it. He came down, and the Bible says he formed out of the dust of the earth uh, the first man, and then from him the uh, first woman, and put him in this glorious garden. And uh, basically said to him, look, this is all yours. Enjoy it. Uh, there's just one rule. You cannot eat of this one tree. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, uh, so, you know, we know the story. Of course, they ate of the tree. Now, nobody knows how long it was before they ate of that tree. Based on their offspring, I'd say about 45 minutes, you know. Uh, and, and I'm serious. I, I think it was, it had to have been the same day. So why would you say that, Mark? Because God makes this woman, and women by in general, I think all women are beautiful. You know, all women are beautiful. There's just something about them. You know, all the men go, yeah, hallelujah. Wouldn't just say amen. But anyway, yeah, I mean, y'all have self-esteem issues a lot of you, you know. Unlike men, a man looks in the mirror and we go, that's amazing. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? You know, even if we look horrible, we still think that somehow really looks great. A woman can be drop dead gorgeous, look in the mirror and say, I'm too fat. You know, whatever. I mean, they, they don't quite get it. But from a man's perspective, y'all are gorgeous. You're all daughters of Eve. Can you imagine Eve? <laughs> I mean, this God Almighty, the most perfect 
gorgeous woman ever created. So God brings this woman to Adam. And after the fall, then we learn that they first had their first sexual encounter. It, that would have been at the top of my hit list. I got to tell you, I just, I'm a pig. Why can I tell you? It is what it is. But, uh, but, you know, there's no way they walked around that garden for days and months and years before they got around to that. And already they'd messed everything up. I think it was the same day. Goodness gracious. And they rebel against God and do the very thing he said don't do, and they went and did it uh, and created this big fat mess. And then, of course, uh, sin comes into the human race, and we've been dealing with those consequences ever since. By the way, I always like to remind people, when you see something terrible happen in the world, say, oh, you know, if there's a God, why did that happen? It's not because there's no God. It's because of sin and because there's evil in the world. That's what that's a sign of. It's not a sign of the absence of God. It's a sign of the presence of evil. And, and all these horrible things. So this, this is what uh, our great-great-great-great-grandparents uh, put us into. Uh, and then God basically comes down and he says, you know, you guys have really messed up. And um, one of the first things God does is kicks them out of the garden. And I want you to look at why. This is in Genesis, the third chapter, starting in verse 22. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. In other words, they were limited in their understanding experience. And all of a sudden, they do something wrong. They're aware of evil and good. He says, now, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat it and live forever. So uh, a lot of times it just flies by, and we think that God kicked people out of the garden just as a punishment. It wasn't a punishment. It was, we've got to get them out of there before they eat of the tree of life. See, what is the tree of life? It is literally a tree that would have turned them from mortal beings into eternal beings. He said, don't you think that's all symbolic and stuff? It could be. All I can tell you, though, and, and you know, I didn't give it to the skies, uh, but Revelations, how fast can you guys push buttons back there? Revelations chapter 22, verse 1. Can you pop that on the screen? Is that possible? Ding, 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 boom, boom. And they didn't know the whole Jeopardy theme and you couldn't get one Bible verse. All right, so write it down if you want. Uh, and what it says is about heaven. It describes heaven, literally describes heaven, of the gates, of the river that's going to be flowing down and what it looks like. And it says on either side are trees of life. There is literally, just, you say, how, could, how does that work? I don't even understand my iPhone. I don't know how it works. All I know is literally there are going to be trees of life. So literally, and it says it'll be for the healing of the nations, and this is what we partake of, of these Fruits. This is how God has created uh, his universe. Uh, so there's one of these trees there, and he says, first thing, we've got to get them out of there before they eat that thing. And consequently, we all have stayed mortal ever since, and people die. And you think, what a horrible thing. Nay, 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 I say unto you. It was the kindest thing, arguably, God ever did for the human race. Amen. Because by keeping us from becoming eternal, it left us fixable. And redeemable. So what does that mean? Listen, have you ever wondered why there is no redemption for the angels who fell? Or why can't Satan be saved? Or why can't demons be redeemed? 
There is something about evil in the heart. Once uh, the evil has entered the heart of an eternal being, they cannot change. They are stuck like that for eternity. They are locked in a state that cannot be redeemed. We could have been like that, but God said, no, let's get them out of there. They've stayed mortal, and because they were mortal, we are still now fixable. We are now redeemable. This is what we celebrate during the whole Easter season. Jesus Christ died on that cross for us, and on the third day rose again from the dead, and now we have faith in him that brings us redemption, that he can change us. One of my favorite lines of the uh, uh, Apostles' Creed that we just said is, we believe in the forgiveness of sins. We're not locked into it for eternity. Praise God. Thank you for that overwhelming response. All right, so that's a big stinking deal. That is huge. Now, the idea that we still die and stuff is, is awful, but, but, but here's the thing. You have to understand, we will at some point all become eternal beings. The mortality that we're experiencing now is temporary. Everybody, even the most evil, horrible person who has ever lived on that great resurrection day will turn into eternal being. All of this is temporary. This is why it's so important to realize what happens at death. Once you die, you will be locked into that state for eternity. This is why we have to uh, be in a state of grace, keep our faith, share the gospel with as many people as possible so they go into eternity locked into a state of grace instead of the state of evil that is in the heart of so many people people. Keeping us mortal allows us to be fixed, saved, changed, transformed. Because being mortal is a temporary experience, we should all become eternal beings, both good and evil. Again, this is why one wants to ensure they die in a state of God's grace. This is why it's important for us to be born again. This is our second chance. This is what the Bible says transforms us from death into life. This is what is on display in baptism. Being put in the waters and coming out, washing away the old and walking in the new. This changes us. This beautiful faith that we can experience in Christ is what transforms us. This is why we're even here this morning. This is why we sing. This is why we celebrate God's grace. Because we have been transformed from the kingdom of darkness, the Bible says, into the kingdom of light. We have been changed Thank God. And all of that is because we are redeemable because we are not yet in a permanent state. Jesus said in John, the eighth chapter, verse 22, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins for you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he, talking about the Messiah. What is he telling them? You need to be careful. You need to take this seriously. You die in a state of, of, of corruption and darkness and stuff. You now stay there. That should give the willies to anybody. In other words, upon death, you will be locked in a state of evil that falls like like that of the fallen angels or locked into a state of grace. Now, while we see in the scriptures this idea of eternal life being portrayed as something that we'll experience in the afterlife, we also see this idea of eternal life being in the believer before death even occurs. We get transformed. We get changed. 
Jesus said this, very uh, John, the fifth chapter, verse 24. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. So he's talking, you, you have it. When you believe, when faith comes and this wonderful experience of what we call being born again, renewed. What does that mean? You're getting transformed from the state of death, which is Satan and his angels, and transformed into a state of life because of what Christ has done. Cross from death into life. This eternal life is in us. Very truly, Jesus said in John the 6th chapter, verse 7, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. Well, he's not dead yet. Well, it's, <laughs> It's not just pie in the sky after you die. You experience eternal life right now when you get trans. Because remember, we are born in the state of fallen. We are born in the state of sin. How can that be? We're just little babies. Really? Have you ever listened to a two-year-old? You know, one of the first things they learn is, yeah, mine. I mean, it's that, that stubborn. And they're so cute, you still kiss them, but... Uh, what, what is that? It's just this, this fallen state that we are born into. And thank God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we get transformed out of that state now and into life. That's why Jesus calls it being born again. We're born the first time in a fallen state. When we come to faith in Christ, we are now born into a state of grace that redeems us. Again, this is what Jesus Christ has done for us on that cross. So who believes in me has eternal life. John the 17th. Chapter verse 3. Uh, this one is interesting. Jesus is praying to the Father. The Father and Jesus are one. It's hard to even get your head around it all. But uh, he is praying to his Father for us. He's praying for all those who will now believe in him after all of this. So he knows what's happening here. And as he's praying, uh, he says this in chapter 17, verse 3. He gives us a, a definition of eternal life. Now, this is eternal life. Okay, now he's going to tell us. You're going to live forever. You're going to float around in clouds. You're going to just never die. Well, that's all part of it, but that's not his definition here. He says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is the beginning of eternal life. This is when we are transformed from death into life. This is when we change teams. <laughs> uh, stuff in the news about what players get transferred from one team to another. <laughs> this is the best trade ever. <laughs> I mean, seriously, right? I mean, he takes what's wrong with us and gives us what's right about him. The best deal you will ever encounter. So this is what happens. We now are walking in God's grace. We have now God's forgiveness. We celebrate that we have this experience called the forgiveness of sins. Now, America used to be, by and large, a Christian nation. That's not the case anymore. Uh, virtually all, any intellectual will tell you that America today is called a post-Christian nation. Uh, and they think it's wonderful. That's a drag for the rest of us. But uh, uh, people just don't believe this stuff anymore. And one of the things that uh, people used to believe in this country is about forgiveness. You have a second chance. You can be redeemed because we know that people can be changed. Uh, 
But now we live in a culture today where people no longer believe that. They believe once you mess up, you're done. You cannot be redeemed, and you should be eliminated, if possible, from the face of the earth. This is what we see being played out constantly on our uh, public stages today. I mean, if you are in your 40s or 50s and they want to nominate you and, uh, for some important position, like on the Supreme Court or something, and, and if they can find one bad thing you did when you were 16, you're done. What? Oh my God, I, I couldn't make it as a dog catcher. I, I couldn't be confirmed for anything. <laughs> I've done a few bad things. <laughs> I can imagine they'll be busting in witnesses <laughs> just, just to talk about when I was 16. Then there's the 17th year, and it goes on from there. <laughs> Why? Because you do. And they say, yeah, no, it's Democrats. No, Republicans are just as bad. They were, I can't even remember anymore because I didn't come here to talk about this nonsense, but it's now sitting in my head. But uh, what was it, a few years ago, some, was it governor of Virginia or something? Republicans wanted him removed because he was at a party and he was dressed up in a black face. And I thought, seriously, you nimwits? This now, disqualify why you? Because once you have said anything, once you have done anything, and if they can find a, a post online, boy, would I be dead. If they can find <laughs> one thing, one thing, you must be destroyed. You have no value. Why? They don't believe in the forgiveness of sins. There is no redemption. There is no transformation from death to life in secular people today. Well, I thank God we don't live in the secular world in our thinking. We live in God's glorious world where there is redemption. Whatever you have done, you can be changed. You say, Pastor, I'm a horrible person. Probably is there hope for me? Yes. Why? You can be changed. We can all be changed. And there's people who think this today. They've got it in their heads. Gee, I did this awful thing. I, I did that. You know, uh, whatever. And they think that there's no hope. There's always hope. <laughs> if you knew the, what the person next to you has done in the past, you'd, you'd move over a few more chairs. I mean... <laughs> This is church. We're gathered with people who make all kinds of mistakes. Are you justifying the mistakes? No. But I celebrate that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. This is the glorious message of Jesus Christ. This is what Easter is all about. New life out of death. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I know. So I, I, my day started out yesterday, early in the morning. <laughs> I started yesterday morning, I get a call from a lady who's just reaming me because of something I said to her eight years ago. And I, you know, at first, I, I don't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. Do you remember what, what I said eight years ago? Oh, my word. So she's reminding me, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, I kind of remember. I don't think I was really that horrible of a thing to say. <gasps> You're horrible! I said, well, you know, I was trying, and trying, but there's no explaining to these people. There's just no explaining. I said, well, well, okay, I'm sorry, but what do you think should happen? You need to resign as a pastor. 
Really? Yeah, you should never speak about marriage or relationships ever again. And then, as shocking as that is, look at what's happening on the public square. If you fall out of grace with these people, you must be called, why they call it, cancel. Cancel culture. They want you literally eliminated. I am convinced some of these people, if they had their way and there was a death penalty, they would just as soon kill you. And if they can't kill you, they want you erased from eternity and from the face of the earth. Because to them, there is no forgiveness of sins. Of course, the sin being whatever they deem. It gets very, very complicated. So anyway, we walk now in this new life. We are looking forward now to dying. Not literally, I mean, I, I hate getting a cold. <laughs> I'm looking for heaven, looking forward to heaven. The transition part, not big on my list, I gotta tell you. But check this out, here's a big thing. What about Christians now? John, John, 1 John 3.15. He says, anyone who hates a brother, he's writing to Christians, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. Now he's talking about what Jesus said, if you hate somebody, it's like the sin of murder. It's not literally the same. You can't go out and say, well, I hate that guy, must as well kill him, it's all the same. No. You know, but you know. Jesus said, if a man lusts after a woman, it's like adultery. Well, that pretty much wipes out the rest of us guys out here, you know. Not that that thought has ever passed through my mind at any given second. Oh my gosh, it's just the world that we live in, right? And these people, it's over, it's the same. It's not exactly the same, or we'd be killing everybody. All right? But it's that sin of hatred. But that's not the important part. And, And he says, as you know, no murderer has what? eternal life in him. Well, that's a little scary. Remember, we are believers and we have now eternal life in us. We have now been transformed. We experience what Satan cannot experience. (laughs) We have changed teams and we've been redeemed. But he warns, man, you get hatred and stuff. You don't have that in you. Now, there is great debate and I'm not going to get into the debate because who knows? There's a great bit of debate. What happens? Once you have this life in you, can you now lose it? And people have been at each other's throats in Christianity for years, centuries, really, debating this whole thing. Uh, I tend to, you know, be careful. I'm on the more t- careful side. If you think it's not, po- now, I, I tend to think that it can be lost. I, I just, it's me. Don't write me about it. You don't know, and I don't know. But I tend to lean on that it can be lost. But I don't think it's easy. I don't think that, you know, you kick the dog and you're going to hell. You hit your thumb and expletives fly out of your mouth that now you are doomed for eternity. That you've been transformed back into death. I I think, to be honest with you, I think it's a lot harder than people even think. But is it possible to so get cold in your heart that you could step back out? The way I see it, I think it's possible. Again, people will take issue. and I I will say this. Just, and I don't have time because my time's ended just now. Uh, but I never shut up. Just go, study the New Testament, Google the word, search the word, I guess you can Google it, the word warn in the New Testament and see how many times that word is there. Why would he warn us? Because you don't want to get in a bad state. You just don't. Some people say, well, that just means you won't get blessed. Really? That's a warning? 
I mean, you got to be careful. Here's the thing. Do not let bitterness, anger, unforgiveness get into your heart towards other people. I'm talking to you as believers in Christ, those of you who have had this transformation. Guard yourself. You know, we always pray the Lord's Prayer together, right? And forever and ever, amen. But Jesus kept talking. Read it. He didn't, he said, teach us how to pray. He says, you know, forgive us our sins as we forgive those, you know, who sinned against us, da-da-da. Amen. And then he says, for if you do not forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. It's one of the scariest verses in the Bible. I mean, what does that mean, Pastor? I don't know. I don't want to get into a theological debate. What I would advise you, don't do it. I would warn you, don't do it. I'm not going to gamble with my eternal soul and think I can go around hating and being angry and bitter and people and do all kinds of horrible things. Like, that doesn't matter. I'm going to go to heaven anyway. Really take care. Once you die, you will be locked in a state. And you do not want to die not in a state of God's grace. Amen. So that's kind of scary. Yeah, I think that's why the Bible says warn, warn. Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why would he say that? You're just trying to scare, I'm not trying to scare anybody. It's just the reality. Take this seriously. We have to take this seriously. You say, I, I, hate, I hate my brother because he stole $60,000 from me in, in the will. Really? Sucks for you, but let it go. Let it go. Let it go. So-and-so said something to me. Let it go. Pastor Mark, you called me a booby head eight years ago. Let it go. Don't let this poison and ickiness. And this is serious. We are doing serious business here. As much as we celebrate, we laugh and everything. This is life and death on an eternal scale. Choose life. Avoid death. He said, well, I'm struggling with it. Ask God, Father, help me get past this thing that I'm half struggling with and stuff. I don't have time to get into it. Deep. Hopefully you get the general idea. All right. <laughs> there, there, you can't deal with all the nuances of this in one message. It, it would be series, and I don't want to do a whole series on it. Anyway, study the scriptures. Find out for yourself. Look into it. Uh, and, and take it from that. Now we are going to close our service with communion. This is when we pause and we reflect on the grace that we have received. And the first thing Paul says, see, I already should have closed my book. Where is it? I, I read it every Sunday. Uh, examine yourself before you take of the bread and of the cup. Why? Keep short accounts with God and with people. Forgive people. Don't take the time to become bitter. Stay connected with other believers. That's the important thing of going to church. This needs to be a regular thing we do all the time. All of you. And I know some of y'all, I'm glad to see you. Some people, they show up on average four times a year. Uh, great. I'm glad whenever you can come. But man, you need to take this seriously. One of the reasons why I stay in church and stuff is so that we stay in a good place. Keep all of this seriously. Anyway, the Bible says examine yourselves. Why? Because sometimes we mess up. Anybody mess up before? It's a daily occurrence with me. Is it, why is it? I don't know. I got issues. Pray with me. But you know what I do? I pray daily. Father, forgive me as I forgive others. And when we gather together, and during this time, we pause to reflect on where we are. 
And I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads in a word of prayer. And I'm going to pray for you because we always pray a prayer of forgiveness before we take of the bread and the cup. Heavenly Father, before we take our communion this morning in obedience to the scriptures, we pause as Paul said to do and we examine ourselves. If we have sinned against you in any way, thought, word, or deed, we ask by the sake of the power of, of Jesus who died on the cross for us that you would have mercy on us and forgive us of all our sins. Strengthen us to be the kind of people you want us to be. But thank you that there's always a second chance because we believe in the forgiveness of sins. And as your heads are bowed and we're praying, and maybe you can just talk to God about some of the things you've been struggling with. If you are here and you've never done this, if you say, man, I've never had this transformation for, that I know from death into life, you can experience that this morning. All you need to do, ask Jesus right now to forgive you. Say, come into my life and forgive me of my sins. And this glorious transformation can take. You, can, you start your first steps of faith today, starting to understand who God is in your life. Amen.